0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chicklet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue and I'm an author, a journalist and the strong, healthy bastard son of the king. Joining me is author, returning guest and upwardly mobile courtier, Ella (laughs) Risbridger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about a great book and the cornerstone of our friendship, Philippa Gregory's The Other Boleyn Girl
1: really truly it is the cornerstone of our
0: friendship I think it's like the first thing we ever truly bonded about was this book um, I'm going to do a quick plot summary I will mm. sit quietly and listen sure it's England in 1521 ooh set the scene <laughs> <laughs> And the 13-year-old Mary Boleyn has just been chosen by her uncle and father to be the new mistress of King Henry VIII. As a member of both the powerful Boleyn and Howard family, Mary is used as a pawn to escalate her family's social and political status. Mary dutifully obeys, annulling her marriage and bearing the king two children until she is later put aside for her sister, Queen Anne Boleyn. Oh! Pew, 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 one. pew, pew. Didn't see
1: that coming, did you? Because
0: this is the other Berlin girl. The other one. There must <laughs> always be two. <laughs> two genders. But this is like, this is um, what I think, I love Philippa Gregory. And so much. one of the things you and I talk about a lot is how we think Philippa Gregory is better in every way than Hilary Mantel.
1: I feel like I'm going to be excommunicated.
0: From the books community. From the book yes. community for saying this. I don't...
1: Better, 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 better. What is better? The point is, I don't like Wolf Hall. Yes. And if I want to read about the Tudors, I want to read about sexy Tudors, and I want to read about what they're wearing and how much sex they're having and yeah. uh, how betrayed they feel by their people who love them and the people who hate them. Those are and like, and um, masked
0: balls, obviously. And I guess they probably do come up in Hillary Mantel. Maybe, but, but I
1: don't know. They're so heavy.
0: They're so heavy, and every time I try, I'm just like it's always like um what's his name? The guy <laughs> The guy, the man. The, basically, if I'm here, if I'm hearing about Tudor history from the point of view of a man, it's the last person I want to hear from. When you have all these women, not just the wives themselves, but the sisters and the ladies-in-waiting and the hierarchies of mistresses upon mistresses, why would I want to hear anything from the point of view of a dude?
1: I mean, in many ways, the tagline of my life. <laughs> but the thing is, do I ever want to read historical fiction about men? Do I ever want to read about men in the past? I think there are very few books where I've actively been like... This is better because it's about a man. I feel like I know yeah. about men in Tudors. We did it a lot at school. You could, you're only allowed to study Second World War, the pyramids and the Tudors at school. Yeah. And that's all about men.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what, I think one of the reasons why, because I think one of my earliest historical memories or, or like of being interested in history, was what I mean, is like curling up in my mama's bed with her and watching the David Starkey Tudor Lives thing, which I'm sure you've seen as well. Yes. It was oh my like God. one I'm- hour per one queen. And it was just like the most exciting thing. I was about eight.
1: And there were books to go with each one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is David Starkey cut this if it's libelous? Is he the guy who thinks that lizards the Queen? That is, is David
0: Icke. <laughs> <laughs> what David know? You think famous royal scholar thinks the Queen is a lizard. <laughs> he's like perfect to start <laughs> There's the reason work. I started this with, please cut this from the record. No. It shan't be cut. Shan't. He did something. We can come back to David Starkey later. But um, I think, yeah, one of the reasons why the Tudors are so compelling is because we are used to this sort of thing of um, history being run and told by men and um, the only sort of important pivotal characters being men. And we can sometimes wonder about the wife or mistress who inspired him. But with the Tudors, there's absolutely no denying it that it is entire solar system of women that are hovering around this big fat sun.
1: (laughs) Big fat sun. (laughs) And the thing is... I think the reason people like the Tudors, women like the Tudors, mm-hmm. is because you have Henry, and then it's all women with Henry. Yeah. Everyone, well, everyone cares about Henry VIII because he had so many wives. Yeah. No one cares about Henry VII. No. They might do now because they have read Philippa Gregory. Yeah, sure. She's, she started it. <laughs> but no one cares about the other kings because they didn't have enough wives. Right.
0: And then, The after, best branding initiative he ever did was have all those wives. Forget the campaigns in France. The wives were the branding campaign. The thing is... What do you know about what Henry VIII
1: did, except oh, for the wives?
0: Well, I'll tell you for that now. I'll tell you what he did. <laughs> he um, robbed the monks. He yes. pill- pillaged because the of monasteries. The wives. Because of the because wives? Yeah, everything comes back to the wives. Like he, he made up Church of England so he could marry Anne Boleyn.
1: Exactly. Which wives. is what
0: the precursor of what this book is.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, people only know what he did because of the wives. Um, you ask someone about Henry VI, yeah. and everyone goes, oh, ah.
0: Well, i tell you who he was the father of. No, actually, no, that doesn't even make sense. No, cause, no. Pick a king. No one knows what kings do. No they one. only know what their wives did. Yeah, and that's, that's true. It's actually people know a ton about Queen Elizabeth I, a ton about Queen Elizabeth II, a ton about Queen Victoria. They know a bit about Queen Anne, more because of the favourite. More because of the favourite. I know a bit about Queen Caroline because it's my business to know these things. Um, but yeah, I don't know anything about kings do at all. Women are the only interesting thing about royalty and aristocracy is what I would maintain there. Um, but I actually thought of something else today, and it's, it's when I was reading this, and uh, especially the early chapters where uh, Mary. So Mary's thirteen years old, but she's already a married woman to this guy Carey. But here's the thing:
1: it is very much YA. It is. They're all I, fourteen. Yeah,
0: and, and they and they and they, they steadily go through their teen years, um, learning agency really learning how to ask for things, how to demand things, how to not obey their parents. And that's and that's what happens with Mary, that she she usually she does what her parents ask her to do, which is she leaves her marriage, she starts screwing the king. And they're really upfront with her about, like, okay, this is what you need to do. You're basically worthless. They're very, you're worthless to us. You're worthless to us. You only work as a pawn. And maybe you can, if you bear him an heir, you can work your way up to, like, castle or rook or whatever and it's it got me thinking about horror films and you know how they say that horror films are this way for people to work out their most um, private fears in real life so like
1: this is not something I've heard, but something I'm interested in I would subscribe to your newsletter oh, go thank on thank you
0: um, so the thing about um, so in for example in the 1950s there was always um, these horror movies about this the thing that comes and takes over the town and that was sort of a stand in for the Red Scare and for communisms and for communisms and for, communisms and for like there oh, being everyone communist spies or Russian spies in your neighbourhood and that whole panic and so then horror films started going that way and you can basically draw like lines between social issues and horror films but why I'm bringing this up now is that I think historical fiction does that for women I think it makes explicit things that are implicit in women's lives now I think women do feel worthless women do feel like pawns women do feel like men see them as these things to be chucked around and passed between each other and it's all implied in our social lives but in historical fiction it's so explicit and it's almost a relief to read about it in this weird subtextual way. <laughs> Have I gone in too deep too soon?
1: Too deep too soon. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i very into this theory. I feel like it would be useful at this juncture to explain to the listeners of the podcast that I am so hungover. I'm so sorry. This is a lot of uh, structural conversation about the role of women. I will recalibrate my hangover shortly. But I do think you're onto something. I think there's a real freedom in being like, yep, these men oppress us and they use us, which you can't really say in 2019. Yeah, I mean, you, you can say it, but it's... It's, uh, you know, it's all very subtle, isn't it? Yeah. If you are,
0: as all of the characters in this book are, mm-hmm. white, rich women. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit de classe to just be like, and here's my oppression, you know?
1: That's, it's really interesting. Maybe people would read these books because they're like, yes, I too am oppressed in the manner of these. Yeah. Really? Less overtly, obviously. But it's so
0: int- Do you think one pe- of the re- yeah people are interested in them because yeah they are very privileged white women, but whose problems are very bad, <laughs> uh, whereas our problems, which are not very bad, they just feel like they are. <laughs> well, then again, Mary Boleyn's problems aren't that much compared to, say, a peasant dying of dysentery.
1: Well, that's what's interesting in this, in the end, where she's like, "Yes, I would love you if you were a peasant too." You know, you don't want
0: to spoil it, but in the end of this book, she really does run off with a farmer. She does. She runs off with a farmer. It's so it's good very looking satisfying. and uh, they
1: have cl- rough linen sheets that are very clean. Oh, there's they lots a lot of, of talking
0: about, yeah, their lovely cottage, which sounds like the best Airbnb ever.
1: Oh, it's perfect. And it's like, oh, the grass is blue outside and yeah.
0: beautiful blue, like B-L-E-W, not the grass is blue. Bleh. Bleh. Um, but it takes us a long time to get there. So what are your... How do you feel about like the early sections of the book? So I, could, I see this book as being uh, two halves of like Completely there's Mary, Mary being a, like uh, the mistress of the king and their love affair that eventually kind of sours, and then uh, Anne, Anne and Henry and Mary having to be sort of her own sister's kind of coach. So here's the thing:
1: I love the first half of this book. Mm. I love it when Mary is the mistress. I love all her like conflicting feelings. I love how. I love Anne being jealous. I love that it's something new. I feel like i never read about, you know, it was a new part of history. The yeah. idea, and I think that was part of it too. When I first read it, the idea that there were lots of stories that were true but never got told. Mm. The mm. idea that there was Anne Boleyn and then there was Mary Boleyn. There were yeah. other, pe- other women in history, not just the famous ones. And I yeah. think that was really important to me, part of what I loved. I find the second half of this book kind of a drag.
0: It's because I know
1: all the facts. I know what's yeah. going to happen. It just, there's no tension involved in Anne is going to be executed again every yeah. time. It doesn't yeah. matter how many times you read it. Um, I think part of the appeal is always going to be that there are all these women in history. There's not just the famous ones. Other ones existed too because I think we're always being reminded that there were loads of men in history. History yeah. was full of men. You know... You read about, like, oh, the king, and then it's like, oh, here's a long list of men who were were with him or fought at this battle or this earl or that duke or whatever. Yeah. And, I mean, the thing is, if you look at, like, a big family tree from, like, some of the big old aristocratic families, frequently they list the sons and then they put six daughters. Wow. I mean, that shouldn't surprise me, and yet it does. Isn't it mad? Yeah. Isn't it completely mad? And it happens. You see it all the time. If you look at, like, if you read, as I do, many books that have family trees in the front. Yes. Even now, they're being printed with Peter, John, Richard, James, and some, some other women. And chattel. <laughs> some women were also present. Yeah. And I, I think the idea of a book that was like, let us look at the other women. Let's talk about yeah the women.
0: And, also, and, and not just their roles, but their emotional realities as well.
1: Well, this book is full of emotional realities. Yeah. The book is full of everybody's feelings about what it's like to have an illegitimate baby with the king who the king may or may not acknowledge and you can't go home to your husband and it doesn't matter whether you like your husband. There's a really moving bit in the other blinker where she's just like, I
0: looked at my husband who
1: we've maybe spent two pages with. At yeah, this point and in the she's been
0: estranged for for most is, of this.
1: And she's like, oh, well, if things had been different, I think we would have had a really happy marriage together. Yeah. This is quite bad. We could have loved
0: each other, but it's too late now and I better get on with my life. Yeah. And he weird and he's such a he's such a weak character, but he's also very aware of his own weakness. And he says to her later on in the book, he's like, um and they're all basically growing fat off of everything Mary has won for them. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, like, she has completely elevated the family status. Like, she has ships named after her. Like, there's gifts and, like, everyone... All of her cousins are, and her brother is at the king's side and everything. Money and titles. Yeah. And the husband's got a title too. And right? the husband's got a title too for just having the good grace to, like, stepping aside from his own marriage.
1: Oh, yeah. Shall I read this? Yeah, please do. He shook his head. Mary, you correct me, he said gently. When I think that I've been abused by you and I'm angry with you and this wolf pack of your family... I suddenly see that we are all of us doing very well off you. All of us are thriving very handsomely, and in the middle of it all, like a piece of soft manchip bread nibbled by ducks, is you being eaten alive by every one of us. Perhaps you should have married a man who would have loved and kept you, and given you a baby that you could have suckled yourself without interruption. I smiled at the picture. Don't you wish you'd married a man like that? Sometimes I wish you had. I wish you'd married a man who would have loved you and kept you, whatever the advantages of handing you over. And when I am drunk and sad, I sometimes wish I had had the courage to be that man. It's really sad. It's really sad. And also because he's such a brief character. Yeah. He appears then and a bit later when the king is tired of her and they briefly... Reconvene their marriage. Reconvene, rekindle their marriage and it's like, they have six weeks together. And then he dies and that's the end.
0: Yeah, and he's like, oh, he's quite nice, really. Kind quite of nice, thing. really. And
1: you think, oh, maybe they're going to... Start again. Start again and yeah. have a family. But... I th- I guess that's that's something else that interests me quite separately, is the challenge of writing fiction about something that really happened mm. within the constraints. Because narratively it's very unsatisfying. Yeah. And I think that's what I don't like about the second half of this book.
0: Well that's I think um I think Gregory I think she's a great writer and I think she's underrated. Um, yep. I, it's, she's one of those people who's divinely overrated and underrated at the same time in that she sells millions of copies but no one really talks about her prose or her style. They're just like, oh yeah, bank-busting historical fiction, sure. Ah, step in sentimental garbage. Step in us! Yeah, hello! Um, she's really good at... Side characters, and like for example, um, the husband Carrie. He's someone who's like such a small part in the thing, but she gives him this full emotional reality that really feels like, oh, he could be having his own book off somewhere else. And she's really good at like making very small characters sing in a really big way. Yes, yes, completely. And she, and what, she, and what she's also really good at is. um because the Mary Boleyn story, because we don't know that much. All we know is that there was the sister and she had kids with the king. And that's all Philip Gregory needs. She has enough knowledge about the time and the court or whatever to just weave this wonderful story with this really potent realities. But then Anne Boleyn as a story is too well documented. And she's like, it's like she can't move. It's like she's in a stiff velvet dress. She's like, I just can't do anything with this narrative because yes, it's and all too there's nothing you can do with it. And everyone well knows there are only like two angles to go in on Anne
1: Boleyn. Either she was a terrible witch yeah. or she was an abused young
0: girl who was suffered greatly. Or I think the very 21st century is like, what a girl boss. She was just like working within the system. She was oh Cheryl God, Sandberg so leaning
1: in. <laughs> I'm so tired. I think actually, having said that, Philip Gregory does a very good job of walking between those two extremes mm-hmm. of she was a pawn, she was a girl
0: boss and she was a witch. Yeah. Because I think, because she actually is all three in this.
1: Yeah, and she gets a real. There's a real richness to Anne Boleyn here that she basically never gets in any other.
0: Yeah, and which is weird considering so many people have like have done the Anne Boleyn story. There's a load of films and of Thousand Days, and like she's definitely the most narratively well stocked of all the the wives because yeah. she she's the one. She's the one that she's the one that the whole thing went wrong with. It's one of the. Like, I would have died to have Twitter during this time. <laughs> like, just the fact that, like, Catherine of Aragon, who's been the Queen for, like, almost two decades, I mean... like, is because some woman is just like, what? Like... I mean, imagine... I will paint a picture now for mm-hmm. you with words. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna
1: close my eyes. Prince William is the king. <laughs> yeah. He remains married to Kate Middleton. Yeah. He chucks her over <laughs> for a teenager. Yeah. And... Although the entire government says, no, don't, this is very bad, continues to do it. And like, I don't know, dissolves Parliament. Like something, a major institution is destroyed so that
0: the king can king get can... his end away. It really is very crazy when you actually think about it logistically. Oh my God, I'm just imagining Kate Middleton in one of those gable hoods. Well, <laughs> Which I you think read... would suit her face shape. Which way are you? Well, you and I have thought about this a lot. Yes. Um, because I think people think that they're a wife, and then then they are often corrected. in which wife they actually are.
1: I believe myself deeply to be a Catherine American. I am. I believe myself deeply to be a Catherine Parr. You know, I agree with you. Yeah, I am a Catherine American because I am deeply loyal. Mm-hmm. When I believe something is right, I am yes, a, I am right. I'm right, and I know I'm right. And mm-hmm. therefore, why should
0: I? And you will also, like, wear the hair shirt for yep. years and years and years wear if the it hair means shirt <laughs> that you've And rotten. have everybody be
1: like, why is she so hair shirt? Yeah. Why is she such an open wound all the time?
0: Yeah, moral superiority that transcends to absolute madness. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: a good friend. And a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> those things. Um, but as ever, we always inevitably come down on. Maybe uh, we're all a mixture of these different women who really lived and are not just answers to a Ms. Magazine quiz. <laughs> However, we have to
0: remember that, yes. If it was a Ms. Magazine quiz, I would be Catherine Aragon. And that's just something I have to live with. I feel Catherine Parr um, because I feel like I can make most situations work for me, you know? Yeah. She's the last one, yeah? The last one, yeah. Survived. You would survive. Yeah, I think I would. <laughs> you would survive anything. Like this is something that I'm I'm very, for some reason I've started saying lately and I don't know why and I can't stop saying it, it was like I think I would do quite well within an arranged marriage. <laughs> Which is like, I just think I can I can work with men, you know? i love I, so I can deeply. manipulate them quite well. And I think I think you
1: would be fantastic in an arranged marriage. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, would would you. <laughs> I would marry would you. I would marry you. you arrange me. to marriage me? <laughs> I don't think I'd marry you myself, but I definitely would marry you to my daughter.
0: Well I I think another one of my favourite thing about this book, it definitely is There's so many paradigms for sexual awakening and being a mistress and and sort of like learning, learning to learning to be exploited, learning how to manipulate that exploitation and learning to be turned on within that exploitation. Yes,
1: yes, completely. It's such an open book about sex. Yeah. I had forgotten until I reread it. So this is a book I read a lot as a teenager.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, same. Same. I think we both probably were at the same age, like 13, 14, like crucially yeah. the age Mary is in the start of the book, which I think is really important for how many girls got into this book.
1: I think so, because there is something about being 14 and there's not that many frank descriptions of 14 year olds having sex because it's weird for adults to write unless yeah. it's in a historical context. Yeah. But as a 14
0: year old, you're just, wow, she's doing all the sex in all the ways. and you're And you're very jealous of her. She's been yes. called to the king's chambers at two in the morning and he's juicing her and he's very good at sex well, this because is it. he's had it a billion times. This is the
1: other thing. You get such a handsome, sexy Henry VIII in this book. Mm, mm. Mary is never having sex with someone repulsive. Yeah. In the second half of the book, Anne is having sex with the king after he's fallen off his horse yeah. and he's repulsive and he smells and... He can't do it a lot of the time, and she talks about lying underneath him while he's sweating. Yeah, Anne gets to have horrible sex. Mm.
0: Mary and gets be the to queen have, of
1: England. Mary gets to have fantastic sex with everybody all the time. Yeah, she never
0: has bad sex. It's it's actually great. Um, well, no, she she does have towards the start. And what's interesting as well is that Mary isn't a virgin going into this. Like she has had a husband and she's saying to Anne when she gets back from Paris and they have this like very oh, yeah, lovely, yes. giggling, reunited scene where like Anne is so like, oh, Kel's a <laughs> <laughs> Just like a teenager who's learned five French phrases and it's so perfectly done. But that's Anne, right? She's that's a teenager Anne. who's
1: learned five French. And the bit in this book where she's she's like, oh, I've got such high heels.
0: I know, I know. And, um, and they have this like really breathless... Um, Reunion. Reunion. (laughs) Um, She's like, oh, and Mary's like, oh, God, I'm having sex with my husband. It's a bit horrible. And he pisses in a pot afterwards. And they're like, gross. (laughs) (laughs) She has bad sex off screen before it begins. Yeah, she does. She has
1: fairly routine, boring, bad sex.
0: Yeah. She has fairly bad, boring, routine sex that she feels like very, it's her duty to do. Yes. But then she has a sexual awakening after that fact with Henry the fucking eighth.
1: He's the king. And he's so good looking.
0: Yeah. All we hear about (gasps) is how handsome he is and how sexy
1: and the bit I always hate is the bit where they're at the masked ball and everyone yeah. has to pretend they don't know who the king is oh my
0: god I so I love those my favorite bit in any Tudor novel is people pretending they don't recognize Henry VIII the tallest man in the generation and also the king but he's wearing a paper mask <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't. and he needs people to believe that it's not him
1: because I think that is the the bit in the first half of the book where you're like perhaps he is not very bright Perhaps he's not actually dreamy. And then you realise, oh, she has to do it anyway. Yeah. She's lucky because she falls in love with him. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. And I do think you get that sense.
0: It's really, it's such a complicated layering of sexual, as I said, exploitation versus attraction. It's very nuanced. Really. And actually not to be not to be plugging my book a year after it's come out, but when I was reading it again, I, it, I felt like I could draw a line between reading this as a teenager and writing the book that I did, which is that like I know this person is in this because I am young and because they're taking advantage of me and because they feel like they're patronising me in this way and that they're giving something to me and it's very gross, but also I'm within my rights to be turned on by that.
1: Yeah, no, I think there is a real link between the nuance of the other Billing girl and the book you wrote.
0: We're like we're not mentioning it. <laughs> Look a it up, copy, Google it. For copyright reasons, but we will not be naming <laughs> Caroline's book. Um yeah and, and like there's this bit where and she and so they're kind of they're they've been flirting for what it seems like months or years before the book has even started. And then it suddenly escalates um when they're at this masked ball and she does a very good job of pretending that she doesn't recognise the king of England who she sees every day and then day. she faints and then she
1: faints pretends to faint yeah and everyone's like oh gosh she really must have been in, been oh. surprised she must have been in love with this handsome very tall
0: not a king <laughs> and he loves this and later on he comes because she's um, importantly Catherine of Aragon's AD in waiting and he comes to Catherine's rooms and he sort of like has this like public private moment with her in front of his own wife um, are you going to say the thing about the hands the hands and he's, he basically says to her like oh you know did you really know as me and she's like no of course I didn't know it was you I thought you were just some handsome stranger and he's like so you were going to fuck a handsome stranger and she was like I, I don't know <laughs> and then he's like oh my god your hands are so small obviously absolute classic move and then they start measuring each other's hands against each the other the sexiest like, thing that can happen the sexiest thing that can happen in the world just yeah. to hold
1: up your hand and be like oh your hand's so big and mine's so
0: small so small in front of your wife? Who is, also, she loves. She, lo- she loves Catherine. She loves his wife. She does love Catherine. And I think, so before
1: we started recording, I was just skim reading the last bit of this book. Because one of those things, the thing about a book you read a lot as a teenager mm-hmm. is it's sort of burned into your brain. Yeah. It's got to And you. it would be very hard for me to reread this book now properly, I think, mm. because I don't ever want to feel like I'm mocking or making fun of how seriously I took this book as a teenager. Oh. Completely, yeah. And I, we giggled about it a lot. I was thinking about the library copy of this book, which had its spine broken at two places.
0: I bet the... I can guess which ones. <laughs> Have a go. Um, the scene after she's had her um, her baby and she hasn't been churched yet, um, which means she hasn't received a blessing from the church that she's now clean. Hello, the patriarchy. Um, and he's she like gives him a handy. Yeah, that yeah. one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, because obviously that was our, that was, we, no, no one was, I wasn't giving handies at 13, but that was the, the first thing on the list of the, the milestone. It was zone. a very
1: clear list. I mean, you've done an episode about, you did the George Nicholson episode, the Louise Renison yeah. one, and there is literally a list in the back of those
0: books. That's a slogging yeah. scale. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean. But we, we all knew that, that, that handies were somewhere in our near future and we were like, yeah. oh, got to crack open that bit, got to figure it out. <laughs>
1: It's not very detailed, unlike the bit where she is literally
0: like... This Is the other bit that was broken open?
1: uh, There are three bits actually broken open, now I think about it. The bit where she explains to Anne, she's like, you have to learn some horse tricks. If you're going to be his mistress instead of me, this is what you do. And it's a really interesting role reversal because all the way you've been like, Anne is so sexy and mysterious. And there's Mary who kind of as a teenager like, oh, she's very beautiful, but also kind of she's going to be thrown over and she's going to go back to the country. And she's she's you. Yeah, yeah. She's the one you're like. Oh, she's yes. the nice girl. I'm Mary, the She's nice told, girl. And, and suddenly this nice girl with whom you've spent two hundred pages empathising, yeah, is like, here's how you give a blowjob. Yeah, here's how you touch yourself in front of people. Here's what you have Ugh. to do. Here are all the bits and bobs. Wow, that you're gonna do. Yeah, and then she literally says, you have to do everything but the deed, and like that was such a feature of my yeah. That is days. people saying the phrase the oh, deed everything but and yeah. the deed, and I. It doesn't really come up in adult life. Oh, we did everything but. No. <laughs> imagine.
0: Imagine if one, you got up with someone and you were like, we did everything but. I'd be like, hello? <laughs> what is going on?
1: And there's a real... I don't know. I'm possibly too hungover to really go down this road. But there's something very interesting in the way that is the one kind of sex that counts. Yeah. For having a baby. Yeah. because And it's very clear that that is the one kind of sex... That you mustn't do if you want him to marry you, mm. and it's the whole "why buy the cow" thing all over again, you know. Yeah, but I do think that that is a thing you absorb as a teenager. Oh yes, that that absolutely. is a thing that felt felt at the time to me very current. Mm. The idea of oh, but there are ways for you to have sex
0: without actually having to have sex. Jesus, yeah. and I think what's maybe why this book is, is so famous and why it was made into a film so quickly. And when you think about the number of historical fiction books that come out every year, many of them that are about women and that don't really do much, I think what, the thing with this book is that it's got that sexual awakening thing that teenagers love and need and will absolutely grapple towards. Yeah. But it also has this very mature thing that adult women can relate to because even though this woman is a teenager, essentially, she's also a wife, and there's this really and a mother, as and, a well. mother and a she's a, and that whole wife mistress thing, and there's this bit where um they're several years into their affair, and um she says, like she's basically in his room and he's like ranting again about uh why the queen hasn't given him a wife and da, da, da. and it, like it's kind of the seed of what will eventually be Anne Boleyn's. Yeah. Um, claim to the throne, which is that Catherine of Aragon has never been uh, truly his wife, that uh, his she was his brother's widow and therefore God is punishing him and that's why he has so many dead children, etc, etc. And she has to, even though they are several years into this, she still has to play this cat and mouse game where she has to be like a worthy conversational um, combatant, but she can't ever be too challenging. And that is like so many women's marriages. Like this is a bit I've written it down here he had been my lover for years, but yet had been my task to make sure he never knew me. As he lay on me and moved inside me, I felt as lonely as if I were the ship that bore my name and out all alone at sea. Like there are plenty of women who are in marriages like that. Who, yeah, in relationships yeah, like in that. Yeah, in relationships like that. Yeah. And a- I think they f- these things
1: feel very current. And I think perhaps this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning about this being a very safe way to explore what it's like to have sex with men under the patriarchy and what it's like to fall in love with men under the patriarchy. Yeah. And you don't want to sort of read too deeply and to do a deep feminist critique of it. But certainly, if you consider yourself a feminist in 2019, there are things to unpack about being in a relationship with a man. Yeah. You're in a relationship with a man. I have been in relationships with men. Yeah. And there are things where, like, am I doing this? Because I want to or because right. this feels like women's work. And I'm not really thinking about sex here. I'm thinking about things like tidying the kitchen or cleaning the fridge. Sure. Or buying gro- like buying basic household things.
0: Yeah. All those things that you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to clean like, the kitchen. I know Gavin will never buy hand soap. He never will. It will always be me.
1: <laughs> I don't think John Underwood ever bought hand soap in his yeah. life. Yeah. Never once. And I... Think it's That's always soft worth, diplomacy. That's for women. <laughs> it's always worth interrogating yeah. these things about what it's like to live in a world where these strictures of gender are still very much in place.
0: Yeah. and But to point them out seems like either whiny or too obvious or passe. And you don't want to say to your partner who you love very much and who you respect very much and who you believe respects you. It's it's You can't just say to them like, or you, obviously you can, but many women don't, like... I think it's bizarre that you are the one that gets to decide when we get married and that if we, I were to propose to you, people would still see it as an absolutely fruity thing to do. People would and it would be a talking yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, our our friend, um, Sarah, well, my friend, and who I talk to you about all the time and therefore your friend too. <laughs> I feel very, I feel very fondly about Sarah. Sarah Marie Griffin, uh, recently an uh, a wonderful woman, absolutely love her. Uh, she recently gave an interview to an Irish newspaper, who then manipulated that interview to make it not about her wonderful book, other words for smoke, please buy it, but about the fact that she had proposed to her husband, and that's what they made the headline. It was like this kooky fruit sure knows how to snatch a man. Like, that's still, the fact that that's still a major part of our culture shows that this book is still relevant, you know?
1: Yes, and I think, as I say, it feels like a safe space to explore desire under the patriarchy. Yeah. To be like, I'm being made to do this, but also I want to do this. But how much is my wanting it? Yeah. And how much am I complicit in the things I'm being made to do because I want them, but do yeah. I want them? And you're right, it does feel sort of churlish as a, essentially a free woman in 2019 yeah. to walk around being like, oh, the
0: patriarchy shakes fist. You yeah. just sort of feel like such a cliche of yourself. Yes, you do. But talking about these historical characters doing it, it feels like, oh, like, you know, like, is that why women love learning about oppressed women in the past?
1: I'm really interested now in this, what it's like to desire men while living in a patriarchy Yeah, thing. I'm interested in the ways this book Shows you that there can be a joy in that, as well as this hideous compliance and submission. Yeah, and it really gives you all the upsides and downsides. It's a really balanced picture of it. Really, what it's like to fancy men.
0: Yeah, and that moment where she um she's taken out and there's the bust of a ship that's carved in her likeness, and it's like and it's like there's no shying away from like this is cool, and she does think it's cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's definitely cool. She has a very good time being his mistress until she doesn't, which is
0: many on, relationships. On a par with being a mistress, yeah. It's a very deep book.
1: And the th- what I find, another thing I find interesting is kind of, I was, just, I was just thinking, Catherine of Arrigan, she is not mistress and she's betraying this woman. And there's this bit where they say something like, Catherine of Aragon had been like my mother and as daughters will, I had betrayed her. And I think there's something very interesting.
0: What does that mean, do you think? Like, do you, are, I mean, I don't know if mother, daughters are genetically composed to betray their mothers. Is that a thing? What does Gregory mean by that, do you think? I don't know. But what I do think
1: is interesting is you get generations of Berlin's and Howard girls in this yeah. book. Yeah. For example, Mary's own daughter then comes to court and is extremely beautiful and young. She's 12, I think. Mm-hmm. But she describes having this very slim body and lovely flowing hair. And you can feel Mary's kind of fear, both for her and for herself yeah. that she will bring a new generation of beautiful women to court and the men will remain the same men. And
0: the, and the cycle will just keep the the cycle on going will keep and on.
1: because that's, I mean, it, that,
0: that's where it feels like a horror film. That's where it feels like the mask has been lifted and we just see all the crawling maggots and worms beneath. It's just like, oh, this will just keep going on forever with the same men.
1: With the same men. And I mean, maybe that's one reason people like the Tudors. It does end. Like you get, yeah. then you get to the you get, end, you the get, sweet relief
0: of ending. You get Mary,
1: you get Mary, and then you get Elizabeth. Yeah, and there's none of this. And I feel like, on a, for me, on a sort of deep, if I really dig down on a sort of deep psychological level, I think maybe I'm always like, and the men got their comeuppance because then Elizabeth was the winner.
0: Yeah, the, the winner for absolutely ages, ages and, and ages. ages, and she didn't even have a baby. So yeah, and then we got that Scott.
1: <laughs> I James.
0: Like, I quite like James. He's fine. But he's not he's Not making a splash, is he, though?
1: Very hard to make a splash after Elizabeth. Very hard to make a splash if your name is James. What That's a what sweeping <laughs> statement. I'm sorry. I just feel like we should apologise to any Jameses out there who want to make a splash. You
0: go. You go, Splash. You go. Splash away, Jameses. <laughs> oh, another thing I really appreciated about this book is um, the value and currency of gossip is huge. Which is weird because when you think of, when you read historical things about like, oh, and uh, the Earl of Sussex did this and then someone did this and then the thing was passed. And uh, what you forget is that history is mostly just people in stone buildings gossiping about each other and running from one side of a big Castle to another being like, you are not gonna believe what the king just said to me. He says he regrets marrying the king. I need to sit down. <laughs> so much running yeah, in there's gossip. So much of that, yeah.
1: And I think you do get a sense of urgency. I guess there's a real person urgency about you will not believe what I have just heard. Yeah. Oh my god, sit down. You're gonna enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna love this. You're gonna absolutely love it. Although there's a lot of value placed on gossip, but I wanna talk about Jane Parker. Yeah. Who is always listening at keyholes and she's really the only proper solid baddie in the
0: book. Remind me Jane Parker again because, again, I know this book incredibly well which means I just sort of skimmed it in my favourite bits today. George's wife, the brother, George Villain's <gasps> oh, wife. Oh, yes, he's married after her. Gay George. Is,
1: we haven't even talked about gay George. We should talk about gay George. Okay. Um, but Jane Parker first. Jane Parker first because, I mean, a note that I have made in my copy is slutty, slutty, kinky Jane. <laughs> Tell because me more about slutty, kinky Jane. There's a real shame in the way that Gregory writes about Jane's sexual tastes. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of bring this up because Mary gets to have sex with people she likes and it's not bad. Yeah. Whereas Jane's sexual tastes, I'm just going to read a little bit here because it seems relevant. Anne said scornfully, I'd have thought you'd be glad. He sat up and shook his head. It's not like that, he said earnestly. If she was hot, I wouldn't mind, provided she kept her heat indoors and didn't shame me. But it's not like that. She likes... It's not like lust, he said uneasily. I can deal with lust, and it's not variety. I like a little taste of the wild myself, but it's as if she wanted some kind of power over me. The other night she asked if I wanted a maid brought in. She offered to bring me a girl, and worse, she wanted to watch. She likes to watch? demanded. She shook her head. No, she likes to arrange. She likes to listen at doors to spy through keyholes. I Ooh. think she likes to be the one that makes things happen and watches others at the business. And when I said no, he stopped abruptly. What did she offer you then? George flushed. She offered to get me a boy. And there's a shame to it, which there isn't for anybody else's weird, yeah. kinky things. There's more shame in the way Gregory writes about Jane having these
0: slightly kinky desires of being yeah. like... But by 2019 star is quite ordinary. Quite ordinary. <laughs> not ordinary, but, you know, definitely you would be given out to for kink-shaming Jane Parker.
1: Yeah, like, oh, you know, she wants you to sleep with someone else and watch. She wants some threesomes. Oh, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's not like
0: vanilla vanilla, but it's not crazy wild.
1: Yeah. For instance, this is a book where some incest happens.
0: Yes, and that Mary feels very um, forgiving about. Yes, there's a very forgiving feeling about the incest in this book. The yeah. Incest, by the way, is the
1: third place that the school library copy was cracked. And I of have vivid memories of my friend Sheena holding it out to me and being like, you will not believe what happens in this book. You will not believe it. I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting on the steps outside the dining hall and Sheena had had it out of the library before me. She was just like, you... Guys, and we're all sitting yeah. around, as you do when you're 14. Yeah. Just sitting around, eating our packed lunches, hoping that no one would make us go and sit in the dining hall because that was for uh, losers who we <laughs> Uh Losers. Absolute losers. Sitting in the dining hall. No, thank you. I want to sit on the steps and uh, talk about incest. I mean, nothing changes. Yeah. But I have such a vivid memory of being like, wow, she's not against
0: the... I- she's against yeah. the incest, but she's kind of into it. It's so... I think it's interesting like... I think the shame attributed to Jane Parker versus the sort of tacit acceptance of her brother and sister possibly fucking. Yes. Um, is the fact that it's a novel told in first person and also a novel where all of the characters within it are absolutely like to be a Boleyn or to be a Howard is the only thing in life worth being unless you're going to be actual royalty. And they have such a a sense of that you can only trust the people in your family. Uh, everybody else is out to kill you or to disgrace you. And it's almost like the thing with Jane Parker, it almost feels like the idea that she would include anybody else. Like there's such in the Nobody could marry into that family. They're so insular. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The world's worst in-laws, yeah. The world's worst in-laws. They're awful, awful people. They only want
1: to be sleeping with each other. They only trust each other. Yeah. And even the dad. There's a bit where the uncle says to the dad, you're only a Howard by marriage. Yeah. And it's like these are the most powerful men in the kingdom, and they are sniping at each other because they're not actually blood related. As you would hope, your sister's husband was not blood related
0: to you. <laughs> Generally, the first thing you, on the list of requirements, really, is not to be blood related. <laughs> yeah, and like you, you really do get the sense that the forgiveness of round and and like whenever she describes Anne and George, she's like. Oh, and they just understood each other in a way and they were such wildly, you know, ahead of their time people that only they could get each other and it's like that's your brother and sister. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: and I the thing about the ahead of the time,
0: um That's how it feels when you read about Anne Boleyn historically anyway. It feels like ahead of her time. Yeah.
1: But I think in this book that's interesting because there's this whole gay subplot. Yeah. Which gets very little time and is treated on a par with the incest. Somewhere is incest acceptable, then there's being gay, then there's threesomes. Mm -hmm. And that's the order of acceptability, incest being the most acceptable, down to the threesomes. (laughs) But there is a weird thing that I would like to explore more that I find quite strange in the way that they accept that Georgia has these, is gay or, you know, I feel very weird about putting labels on historical figures Mm -hmm. because I think desire is different under different conditions. Um. I feel that the book feels that being gay is something a bit shameful. It's something, it's a weak point for him. Mm. And I think that it's interesting that it comes up in this book when I feel that in some circles it still is seen as a bit of a weak point Mm. and a bit of a vulnerability. Mm. And I think that, again, we're back to here is a safe place to explore desire under patriarchy for everybody Mm. and what it's like for men who fancy men as well. I am not going to pronounce on historical views on sodomy or gay sex or, in fact, anything, really. I'm not going to pronounce on anything because I'm not a historian and I don't have the facts. And to reiterate, I am very hungover. (laughs) But I just always think it's worth looking at the way historical novels talk about queer people and the ways they frame it. And I think often, yeah, I think this is my wider point, is that often in historical novels you end up with these characters who are kind of... 21st century woke Mm. and you often end up with like a character in the past you know a white woman in the middle of empire being like I just felt it was so dreadfully dreadfully wrong these (laughs) people should be free like you and me
0: and (laughs) And it does feel so hackneyed and feels like it's condescending and um, yeah
1: I think particularly with portrayals of queer people in historical fiction I think you often end up with a kind of a woke character kind of thing, like oh yes I uh, understood his desires but then I c- approved of them completely and perhaps in some more enlightened time they would have been able to get married and have children just like everybody else <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of that in this book but actually I think much more there's well I don't care that's not the world we live in yeah. there's a really just heartbreaking bit where George is saying I'm in love with Francis I'm in love with him I love him he's just the nicest man in the world he's just so nice just love him and Anne absolutely flies at him and she's like I do not care whether you're in love with him Mary had to give up being in love with the king I had to give up being in love with Thomas Percy yeah
0: Percy something yeah Percy
1: Percy Percy I had to give up Percy you have to give up Francis she had to give up the king no one cares which is a weird equilibrium yeah, there is a weird equilibrium, and I just thought it was interesting. As with lots of this book, I'm finding it very hard to make great sweeping pronouncements about the way it is, or the way Gregory writes, because it is very nuanced. And I feel all the time I am in Mary's head. I very rarely feel the author's Hand. voice yeah. coming in. And I think that's quite rare in first-person novels. I think usually when I read a first-person novels, there are places where I feel like the author is pushing stuff. Yeah, And... Maybe that's why I feel like I'm being very equivocal about everything in this book. I feel that when I'm talking about it, I'm saying it's like this, but it's also kind of like that. And it goes back and forth and this and that. And I think that's something not enough people give Philippa Gregory credit for. Mm. is that as a writer, she is, you know, crazy fond of adjectives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So many adjectives, so many sex descriptions that are at best a bit uncomfortable. But also the depth of character Mm. in this writing is really extraordinary to me yeah and i just think it's worth noting as part of this podcast in which we talk about why chiclet i'm doing the little air quote things around chiclet you can't see because it's a podcast um the ways we talk about chiclet and one of the things we do is to say that the writing is not important Mm. or the writing is not good writing Mm. and within good writing you know there's obviously kind of different kinds of good writing no one to me, talks about the emotional depth of Chiglet. And I think we have to. And yeah. I think that the skill in this book lies not so much in the construction of sentences, but in the construction of character mm. and the interplay of character.
0: And um, what what I think Gregory does in all of her books is like has characters who are very aware of many conflicting truths existing at the same yes. time.
1: Yes, and I think that is the point I kind of keep coming back to, is the compromises and... The compromises we make with ourselves about desire in a complicated and difficult world. Yeah. In a world where you can fancy someone who's also oppressing you. Yeah. And that And also it. that oppression can be part of it. Yes. And yeah. then in fact, it has to be because you have to work with what you've got. Yeah. You know, at its heart, this is a book about working with what you've got and using <laughs> every bit of it. Like,
0: oh, you're Very pretty. Great. It, is, it is not a book about sisters. It is a book about making the best of it.
1: Well, there's a bit in it where Anne says to Mary, but we were born to be rivals. We're sisters. Mm. And although I don't really, in lots of ways, feel that this is a book about sisters, it's not as one would it's hope. An, it's, it's not, not a book I recognise as being like, uh, that's what the sister relationship is. Uh, one of the great sister books, you know what I mean? It's not one of the great sister books. I've read them all. They're fantastic. They're all of them, all the books about sisters. This is not really a book about sisters. It's a book about two women in competition. But I do think there's something very interesting in the idea of, we were born to be rivals. We mm. are
0: sisters. And what's great about that, early on as well, when um, Anne just gets back from France, she sort of like, they're just very like, ha, ah, ha, ha, I don't have a care in the world. It's very much one of those scenes like, look how carefree and teenage they are now so we can see how hard-bitten they are later. But they're looking in like a mirror together and uh, Anne is very like, oh, I'm dark and mysterious and stylish and you're all milk and honey and English simplicity and blah, blah, blah. And it's very much like... That thing that I think all siblings do is that they characterise themselves in opposition to their siblings. That thing of like, well, my older sibling is the smart one, so I'll be the fun one. You know that thing?
1: Yes, completely. And what's interesting to me is that that's that's the hinge of this book, is constantly playing off the two kinds of women. Yeah. Soft milk and honey, very sexy, very nice. Yeah. Or like dark and exotic. And... When they make Mary come back from the country, just so that she can be the person,
0: as you said... Uh, the come dumpster. I didn't want to say it. I didn't but want no, to. yeah, it is... Yeah, they, yeah, she's having this lovely time in the countryside, raising her children. And uh, then, yeah, she's pulled back. So, like, no, we need... like it's the king. We're getting the king all worked up and sexually frustrated. And you basically need to be the breeding mare still.
1: And then, later on, when they bring in Madge Shelton, I think, it's one that they bring in another Howard cousin. and I'm like, well,
0: yeah, what are you going to do? The king needs a bunch
1: of them. Yeah. King needs all these different kinds of women. And there really is just like constantly in opposition, a constant
0: shifting balance of And there's this like um thing where I think it's shortly after she like she has two children with the king, um a daughter first and then a son. And after she has the son, um she's and this is basically what she's been working toward her at this point entire adult life of like yep. to, to bear this son for this man. And her uncle Howard comes to her and it's just like well, you better be back in the king's bed by the end of the week. And she's incensed and she's like, I've done everything. Like, my body is broken from this. And like, he's like, if you're not working with us, you're just a used up old whore that nobody wants. And it's this thing of like, she's literally done everything they've asked under the proviso for years that there's going to be rewards, there's going to be rewards. There'll be rich rewards for you, Mary. The rewards were never for her. They were always for them. There was never going to be any reward
1: I feel like there's a real dissertation to be written in Henry VIII, (laughs) multi-level marketing company. It's a real MLM vibe of like, hey, but if you do the next thing, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, my God. It's a pyramid scheme.
0: It's a pyramid scheme. And the only people winning is Henry VIII. Um, Ella Risbridger, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me again. again. Plug your things. You've got a poetry book coming out. You have a recipe book out now. So you should buy my cookbook, Midnight Chicken, which is already
1: out it had some good reviews Nigella wrote a really nice one this is me both Nigella Lawson everyone Nigella Lawson that's Lawson L-A-W-S-O-N <laughs> uh, it's very nice I cried a lot anyway you should buy my book uh, some people have say it's very good including me right now it's great <laughs> buy my book I and you also have a poetry book I do that I do. is very near and dear to my heart I have a poetry book which is dedicated to uh, Caroline O'Donoghue me this podcast <gasps> I write to find out now wow <laughs> <laughs> I write at length in this poetry book about Caroline and uh, all her secrets so if you've ever wanted to know more about Caroline I guess you should buy my book which is out in October it's called Set Me on Fire Mm -hmm. and it's a collection of amazing poems by some really amazing diverse and interesting poets writing in English today I am really proud of it I think it's going to be great
0: This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle Gavin Dave for the logo and ACAST for the recording space.